please take your scriptures and open to Song of Solomon chapter 5. And I'd like to read those verses that close out this chapter and remind us of this particular spouse, this woman, this fairest among women, describing the fairness of her husband. I read to you verses 9 through 16 of Song of Solomon, chapter 5. What is thy beloved more than another beloved? O thou fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved, that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy, black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies, dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with the burl. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet. Yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Amen and amen. The lover here, the woman, the wife, the spouse, describes her husband, her lover, in detail as she picks up his different traits and features to convince the daughters of Jerusalem that their efforts to help her find her husband are well worth their time and energy spent because her beloved is exceptional and different from their beloveds. And we want to believe that about our Savior. I thank those of you who communicated with me this past week to encourage me in this subject. And the testimony that you gave of its benefit to you, that benefits me and encourages me further. If we, and let me pursue this analogy for just a moment, were to be looking at a new car. If you were looking at a new car or comparing one car with another for that sizable purchase that a car involves, you would look at all of its details. You would check out its engine. You would check out its interior. You would check out its trunk, its tires, its horsepower, its torque. You would check out its warranty. You would check out features, sound system in the car, cruise control. If it has a moonroof or not, you would go through all these features so that you could determine which car was better. 
which car was best for you. When we come to our Savior, we do not want to just refer to Him in vague generalities. We want to bring forward every trait and feature of Him that the Bible tells us so that we can set Him up high and glory in every aspect of Him. Because He's altogether lovely. Every part of Him that we bring up trumps, crushes, and puts the best of men totally to shame and in the shade, as it is said. And we want to do that. The departure of my mother does not alter the subject at all, nor my preaching of it. It's God's timing of this series and not mine. This is her favorite theme anyway. And I'll remind you again, and you'll probably hear it again, that when she was 18, she wrote in her diary, I am intoxicated with the loveliness of Christ. And I find those words here that are the basis for the title of this series. In verse 16, He is altogether lovely. Speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. She taught me, and my brother and sister, by her example and words, that this was the motivating aspect of her life. And she is meeting him now. Praise God. She is seeing him while I labor in a vessel of clay to try to describe him to you. She's seeing and hearing him. We We make our comparison on the basis of Psalm 45, 2 and part A of that verse that says, Thou art fairer than the children of men. And for us to make that comparison, we have to pick what a fair man would be like so that we can show Christ better than them. Thou art fairer than the children of men. And then right here in verse 10, it says, He is the chiefest among 10,000. Well, what would the best of 10,000 be like in different respects so that we can show our beloved to be chiefest and chiefer than him who is better than them? We want to lift up Christ by a comparison. My brethren, I have reviewed with you that women, and they should, and their fathers for them, should look for men with achievement, and our Savior has achievement. Let me show you Psalm 147. Remember, I'm not giving you all that I prepare. I'm giving you some of it. And so I want to give you a little bit more of it. I know that some of you like Genesis chapter 1 and verse 16, where it says that he made the sun to rule the day, and he made the moon to rule the night, and he made the stars also. You enjoy that little clause stuck on the end of, I believe it's verse 16 of Genesis chapter 1. Well, let me tell you a little bit more about the achievements of the man, Christ Jesus, who is a God-man, and who in his divine nature created the heavens and the earth, which is quite an achievement. It's better than being the high school football quarterback. He created the heavens. But look at this verse, Psalm 147 and verse 4. He telleth the number of the stars. That means he counts them. Now when you go out at night, 
you don't get past 20 before you're confused at where you started and which ones you've missed. But he telleth the number of the stars. They tell us that it's a number that is just gargantuan. How do I tell you about trillions except it's like our national debt? It's a huge number. He telleth the number of the stars. He calleth them all by their names. Now what do you think of that as an achievement? He can not only count the number of stars that are in the sky, he has a name for each of them. I have seven children. Rebecca is called Rachel by me more often than she is her own name. Rachel's called Rebecca. I get confused with seven. Look at the Lord. I give you his achievements. His leadership, he's the blessed and only potentate. Do you like those words? The blessed and only potentate. His occupational ability, do you prefer a general? Then he's the captain of the Lord's host. He met Joshua by covenant and by a figure that he took upon him and and was standing on holy ground with Joshua in the book of Joshua. And he's called the captain of our salvation. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 10, he was made perfect as a captain by his suffering for us. Because a captain that has never been in the trenches ever cannot relate to the common soldier. And this captain has suffered so that he can relate to our suffering. Hebrews 2 and 10 teaches us that. His economic ability You want to marry a man that's got some. It makes life easier. It's nice. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Jesus Christ. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 19. Look at Isaiah chapter 55. I want you to see this verse that I referred to but did not show you in past Sundays. This is his entertaining ability. Great men are charming. They're gracious and they're skilled for creating comfort for you, the spouse, and for guests that you might want to entertain. Women would not choose a bumbling or selfish man who cannot make guests and her comfortable if they had a choice. But look at, him, look at one of the texts of Scripture. Verse 1 of Isaiah 55. Ho! Everyone that thirsteth, Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money. Come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Wherefore do ye spend money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which satisfieth not? Hearken diligently unto me, and eat ye that which is good, and let your soul delight itself in fatness. Do you like those words? That is the Lord Jesus Christ telling you about the gospel. If you would ever get a grip on what the gospel is, the glad tidings of good news, of a finished work that is in the Lord Jesus Christ, it is like sitting down to a meal that is free. And that meal is made up of precious pure water and wine and milk. 
And you can delight yourself in the fatness of the rest of that meal. And you should diligently hearken unto the Lord, because why are you working, and why do you have personal goals where you spend your money for things that do not satisfy? Now, since I mentioned cars, a car will not satisfy the soul of one of God's elect. No matter how nice that car is, and if it is the fastest car in the county, it will not satisfy. It will leave you unsatisfied. But this will satisfy. This is his entertaining ability in the gospel. This is not in heaven. This is now. You don't have, you don't have to bring a price to pay for this meal. Just sit down with the word of God and know what God has done for you through Jesus Christ your Lord. And that Jesus Christ is at the door and wants to come in and have fellowship with you. That you will sup with Him and He with you. Have a meal together with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's free. Let Him in. Get rid of the other things that you're working for. That you think will make you happy. They will not make you happy. It's on this end of life that we all realize that. When I was younger... If I could get the fastest motorcycle in high school, it'll make me happy. I got it. I was the most miserable young man ever, anywhere. Well, maybe it needs to be a car. I got one of them. I was the most miserable young man anywhere. This is fatness. This is goodness. Brother Stephen, do you remember... In the past, we have rejoiced in fatness, the fatness of the Lord's house, His kingdom, His worship, and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is one text of Scripture. This one text of Scripture is what I'm classifying under the entertaining ability of our husband. Every woman would want to marry a man who's charming, gracious, generous, kind, thoughtful, opens up his house, makes guests feel good, makes her feel good. He's, he's a great entertainer. When they go out together, his conversation, the places he takes her, the menu that he recommends is all wise and good. It's full of fatness and pleasant things that would rejoice her heart as a wife. Do we have such as a husband? Here it is. I give you Isaiah 55. Do you know him? Do you know this fatness? Do you know this delight? Did you get any of this delight singing his praises in those songs our brother picked and led? I hope so. What about his intellectual ability? Who hath been his counselor or who hath taught him? He has it all. In him are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. What about his observational ability? Is he sensitive and perceptive, sympathetic, empathetic? Does he know when you're hurting? He has your tears in his bottle. Psalm 56 and verse 8, he has your name in his book of remembrance. Malachi 3 and 16. What about communication ability? You want someone who can communicate? Look, since you're close by, look at Isaiah 50. Look at Isaiah 50 and these interesting words about our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear, to hear as the learned. And these verses are describing the Lord Jesus Christ. 
that you that he would know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. Do you, do you wonder sometimes if you said the right thing at the right time? Jesus always said the right thing at the right time because the Lord gave him the tongue of the learned. He never sang songs to those that were of a heavy heart, which the Bible compares in Proverbs twenty-five twenty as taking away a coat from him that is in cold weather. It was always appropriate. His communication ability is wonderful. Now, brethren, we came to a, an aspect of our Savior called moral character. If, if the Lord Jesus has great achievements, or if a man had, let's, not, not the Lord Jesus for a moment, if a man, the, the best of 10,000, if a man had achievements and leadership, a great occupation, economic power, and the other things that we just reviewed, what if he did not have perfect moral character? He just had great power. He had great riches. He had great communication skill, but it wasn't bound and confined to a righteous use of those abilities and those positions. What if that were the case? Then achievements are quite worthless. Leadership and occupational power over you becomes a frightening thing instead of a comforting thing because his greatness is not governed by righteousness. But what of the Lord Jesus Christ? His greatness is governed by perfect righteousness. Perfect justice. God would declare of him in Psalm 45 and Paul would quote it in Hebrews chapter 1. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. The scepter of thy kingdom is a scepter of righteousness. David on his deathbed described the Lord Jesus Christ reigning over men in the fear of the Lord as the clear shining of the sun after rain and the springing up of green grass after the earth being watered. If you've ever read the last words of David in 2 Samuel 23, 1-5, that is the Lord Jesus Christ. All the power all his position, all his achievements, he's creator, are governed by perfect righteousness. So that in the exercise of his power, it's always to the glory of God, always to your good, always to your profit, never too much, never too little, always perfectly done. Many wives have feared husbands, falling into various faults and vices, And by so doing, they threaten their tranquility and the tranquility of their children. This has been a common lot of women in the world with human husbands. Even if it's infrequent or irregular, anger, bitterness, cursing, drunkenness, drugs, fighting, gambling, infidelity, professional slothfulness, porn, wasteful spending, whatever. Those things hurt a wife. And because she has given herself to her husband... She's given up her life and put it in his hands. If he abuses his position, it harms her greatly. But we have a husband who we can give ourselves to and to whom we should give ourselves fully to, who never has a vice, never falls into a fault, has no sin. He's altogether lovely. He's perfect. He will always treat you perfectly. Since your Jesus has the keys of hell and of death, you better hope he has perfect moral character to exercise the will of God for you to be saved.
if he were to have the character of you or the character of me and have that kind of authority and power, he wouldn't put up with us. You wouldn't put up with me, and I wouldn't put up with you, and so we'd be in serious trouble. But the Lord Jesus Christ is altogether lovely. And yet you really want to think about, I, I want you to think about this. See, this is, this is more beautiful than his achievements. His achievements are wonderful as creator. But the fact that his creative power is governed by pure righteousness is glorious. Look at Hebrews 7.26 and suffer me to say another word on behalf of our Redeemer. Hebrews chapter 7. Brethren, I, I, I do not jest or exaggerate when I say many women, many women have suffered in marriages because of the position that marriage gives a man over a woman. But you can run to Christ for safety from all others including yourself, for perfect protection and peace. Why? Because look at his character description. Do you want a character witness of the Lord Jesus Christ? I give you Saul of Tarsus, who met him personally on several occasions. I give you Saul of Tarsus, our beloved brother Paul, who wrote... In verse 26 of Hebrews 7, For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. Now his achievements and his position and his occupational ability and those things make him higher than the heavens. But notice, he is governed by holiness he is harmless. You can run to him and cast your soul entirely upon him. And he'll be harmless. He'll never harm you. He only loves you. Separate. He's undefiled. He doesn't have faults. He doesn't have vices. No matter how irregular or infrequent a man might fall into a vice, it's still scary for a wife. He has none. He's undefiled, and he's separate from sinners. If he's separate from sinners, then is he the chiefest of 10,000 of them? Is he chiefest of 10 million of them? If he's separate from them, because he is so superior to them. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. You can cast your marriage upon him, your job upon him, your eternal destiny upon him. You can cast the moment of dying upon him. And though Jordan's cold and sullen stream might seek to overwhelm your soul, there your God will lead you by the hand by the Lord Jesus Christ. His moral character. Now, brethren, think with me. He's got achievements. He's the creator of the heavens and the earth. He's got leadership position. He's the blessed and only potentate. He's got economic power. He, he owns the cattle in a thousand hills and all the silver and the gold is his. He's got all those abilities and he's got moral perfection that guides the use of them so that they're always exercised perfectly. Wonderful. 
that is wonderful so far. But we're just climbing the ascent of the glories of Christ. Because what if that morally perfect, holy and righteous, undefiled Son of God had no personal care for you? What would it amount to? Marriage is much more than a cooperative partnership or living arrangement with a great man. Marriage is an intimate personal relationship of great affection. The previous traits that I've gone over are satisfying and thrilling if they're accompanied by great personal love for you. Can you believe what I'm telling you? This great being, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and His perfect moral character... He just isn't perfectly moral before God in a separate relationship apart from you. You are part of Him, and He is part of you. You are His, and He is yours. We are bound together by an eternal union in eternal and everlasting love. What if this great Son of God had the great moral character but never thought of you? What if he never thought of you? He would be great and he would be worthy of all our worship if he never thought of us. And so we sing a song that says that if he sent my soul to hell, his righteous law approves it well because of his moral character. We would give him our worship. But it's more than that, brethren. He is affectionate. Every woman wants to marry a man that loves her. And we want the Savior to love us and he does love us. And we're in a marriage with Him that is a great mystery. We are part of Him by an eternal covenant that God made between us and Him. And He loves us. Love is so important that even poor men can be great husbands by being demonstrative lovers. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest in the universe and loves us. He loves us more and He has all the goodness behind it. He is your husband. My heart is indicting. A good matter. I speak of the thing which I have made concerning the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Psalm 45. Do you understand? Can you, can you reach out with my faith and grasp what I'm talking about? That God, Jehovah, raised up the man Christ Jesus out of Bethlehem of Judea, who sits at his right hand, who created the heavens and the earth, who's the greatest entertainer with no peer, who has all the economic power in the universe with no peer. Don't thank Trump and Gates. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Perfect in moral character, eternal in his affection for you. Do you think you can get away from his love? Try Romans 8 on for size, beginning at about 34 and working your way to 39, and we've covered that wonderful passage of Scripture. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. Who shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord? Nothing. He loves us. Wow. Lord, help us. He has an inheritance for you, and we covered that last Lord's Day. It should change your life. Do you remember in Colossians chapter 3, as we closed last Sunday, I said when you go to work, whether it's at Walgreens or anywhere else, you should go to work realizing that you should serve your master as well as you can because you have a master in heaven that's going to give you the reward 
the reward of the inheritance. What does your boss offer you as a reward? Does he have $100 for you if you set a new volume record at Chick-fil-A at the drive-thru? $100? Why don't we just get that over with right now? Let's think about real money. The real reward of the inheritance. I want you to look at Colossians chapter 3. When you go to work tomorrow, do you know that you are serving the Lord Christ? I once spent years in a system that was constantly putting pressure on everyone to get into full-time Christian service. Remember those days, some of you? If you're not in full-time Christian service, then you're a second-rate person. You're a second-rate child of God. But unless God gives you an office of a bishop or a deacon, you can't take that office on yourself. He's given you other things to do, like being a good husband and a good wife, like being a good father and a good mother, a good citizen, and here, a good employee. And I want to show you the words. It starts in verse 22. Servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. That means our human bosses on earth. Not with eye service as men pleasers. We're not just out to make them happy. But in singleness of heart, fearing God, our one and primary motive is to fear God who has told us to work and obey in all things. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily. We should be passionate and enthusiastic on the job as to the Lord and not unto men. Knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. That is serving Jesus Christ. And do you know, are you full time? You full time at Walgreens? That is full time Christian service because you're serving Christ at Walgreens, or BB and T, or IBM, or Costco, or Timber Tech. The reward of the inheritance. Now, when you go to work, what makes you energetic when no one's around? It should be the Lord Christ. Are you just as energetic when no one's around? And are you just as conscientious for the business when no one's around as when they're around? If you're more conscientious for the business when they're around watching, then you're working as a men pleaser. I would hope that you can show all good fidelity as Titus 2, 9 and 10 would tell you that when they're gone, you work just as hard because you're working for the reward of the inheritance because you're working for the Lord Jesus Christ. Because look what the Lord Jesus Christ brings with him. A hundred dollar bonus? Come on. That gets you to work hard. It would me too. But do you understand what I'm saying? The reward of the inheritance should motivate us to be the best workers in the workplace. Because we've got a husband that is bringing a pretty good dowry to the marriage. It's an incredible inheritance. Will you consider with me for a moment prenuptial agreements? A great man would never require a prenuptial agreement of a wife before marriage because he would be committed to that marriage and he wouldn't live in the United States in 2011 when you can't trust our divorce courts and you can't trust most women. Now, in our country, in its present condition, and with women the way they are, there should be prenuptial agreements. 
because the women get what they don't deserve. But in the Bible, and in our relationship with Jesus Christ, there is no prenuptial agreement. A prenuptial agreement is a signed contract that a woman signs and says, if I disappoint my husband and he divorces me for whatever cause, I do not have claim to his assets and income. And so he could be, although our court will throw prenuptial agreements out sometimes, because they are so bent on the side of women against men. So bent for wives against husbands. That's what a prenuptial agreement is. Rich men today have to protect their wealth from our unjust divorce courts and unfaithful, greedy women who have married them to get their hands into their earning ability and power. If you fell out of favor with such a man and you were his wife, you lose. You'll lose everything that you had. If you were living in his house, he continues to live there, but you're not. If you've been driving some of his fancy fine cars, he continues to drive them and the servants may, but you're not. But my brethren, the love of Christ is not set upon us in any such way. The love of the Lord Jesus Christ toward us and our marriage with him is by an everlasting covenant. It is paid for completely by the merits and righteousness, the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will never leave you nor forsake you. He will never pull the rug out from underneath you. He will never say, I think we ought to get a divorce. He will never do that. We have a glorious relationship. It is locked up. And even when we fail, He will always forgive us if we simply go to Him and confess our sins. And if we don't confess our sins and we continue to live as a bad and a naughty and a froward wife, He will chasten us, even taking us out of this world, that we would not be condemned or divorced with the ungodly. Are you following the analogy? That is unbelievable. How in the world can the God of heaven commit the riches of His inheritance and His love of Christ to us when we are so fickle in our faith and fickle in our obedience and service to Him? Isn't He putting everything at risk? I would counsel any man on earth never to do that given the conditions I just told you about a moment ago. Isn't he at risk? Because he which hath begun a good work in us is going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And when we finally stand there before him, he's going to make us perfectly holy and righteous and a very good spouse. And he's going to put clothing upon us that we will be very beautiful indeed. The king shall greatly desire thy beauty. He's not going to get tired of us. He's not going to get rid of us. He's not going to find a replacement for us. I speak of men and their wives. I get so... Listen, studying this is like a mind-blowing, soul-busting experience of just what else can we find to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ in the Word of God. And our marriage to Him is by a covenant. It's a contract. And God wanting to make the heirs of eternal life, meaning His spouse meaning you and me, so that we would have strong consolation to trust Him, He confirmed it by an oath. God cannot lie. This is Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20. 
God cannot lie, but that wasn't enough. He knew that you and I probably needed a little bit more encouragement, that He could never leave us nor forsake us. So He swore with an oath, saying, Surely, blessing, I will bless thee. Because He could, who could He swear by? Who could could our blessed God swear by? You always swear by something greater than you. That's why in court, or in the old days, sometimes still true, left hand in the Bible, right hand held up to heaven. So help me God. Who does God swear by? He can only swear by himself. And so he swore by himself. Do you know why? So that we would have an anchor and a foundation for our faith in his promises that he would never leave us nor forsake us and that he is not going to pull a prenuptial agreement on us and take away everything that he's promised us and leave us helpless, naked, starving, and without a husband. Oh, Lord, you're too good. This is crazy. This is not the way of men. Isn't that what David said in Second Samuel chapter 7? This is not the way of men. And no, it is not the way of men. When there is that much wealth at stake, some little woman coming in after the wealth has all been secured doesn't deserve any of that wealth, especially if she's a bad wife. Have you been a perfect spouse to the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet your inheritance is sure and secure and promised by an eternal guarantee and by his oath. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is at the right hand of God that maketh intercession for us. It is all positive. It is only going forward. It's never going backward. It's never being jerked out from underneath us. Can you put your trust in a Savior like that today? Why can't you? Why won't you? Let's run to him. He has everything in the universe. Guaranteed. For those that will make their calling and election sure, an abundant entrance shall be ministered unto you into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He won't change his mind. The thing that has gone forth of his lips, the Lord knoweth them that are his. It's the foundation of God and it stands sure. Second Timothy chapter 2 and verse 19. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Amen. Do you understand what I mentioned when I said that if we are foolish, we are a bad wife, a bad spouse, if we're his, and listen, if you're a bad wife, you can't prove that you're his. You can't show that you're his, and you better not assume that you're his. But if we disobey, he will chasten us out of love in order to perfect us and so that we will not be condemned with the world. We will never be divorced from him. That is Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 through 8, teaches us that. Let me close with this, Psalm 89. Psalm 89, on this point of prenuptial agreements, there are none between us and our Lord Jesus Christ. In this marriage, there is no such thing. And to think that God would put all of His wealth and all of His love 
infinitely so because it's eternity that's involved and it's everything, he would put it at risk. But it's not at risk because he's going to glorify all of us. This is a decent drama that I'm telling you about. I speak as a fool. He is altogether lovely. It is unbelievable. Love. Whatever is lacking in my spouse, I gave myself for her that I might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that I may present her to myself a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Instead of a prenuptial agreement to protect himself, I'll make you perfect to protect you. I wish I knew how to tell you about it. Psalm 89. This is primarily to David about his son. But I want you to see how it reads. And I'll close with this. Remember, though we might not be faithful ourselves, yet he is faithful forever. 27. Also I will make him my firstborn, higher than the kings of the earth. My mercy will I keep for him forevermore, and my covenant shall stand fast with him. His seed also will I make to endure forever, and his throne as the days of heaven. If his children forsake my law and walk not in my judgments, if they break my statutes and keep not my commandments, then will I visit their transgression with the rod and their iniquity with stripes. Nevertheless, my loving kindness will I not utterly take from him, nor suffer my faithfulness to fail. My covenant will I not break, nor alter the thing that is gone out of my lips. Once have I sworn by my holiness that I will not lie unto David. His seed shall endure forever, and his throne as the sun before me. It shall be established forever as the moon, and as a faithful witness in heaven. Selah. And like the Corinthians... They broke, his, they broke his law, and they transgressed in the matter that is described in 1 Corinthians 11 of the Lord's Supper. And he took some of them away. Many were sick, many were weak, many slept. But he took them away in chastening love that they should not be condemned with the world. Praise God for Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen.